Hello and welcome to another episode of Mike and Max talking about startups, talking about life and other things that we find interesting. Today, startups will be the focus, but before I talk about that for too long, Max, how are you? Very well. Uh, you can see my smile uh, in my face. Uh, I've been very excited, actually, even though the, the day was quite quite packed and I'm a bit tired, but um, I don't know. It's it's a good 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 finisher somehow. I'm really looking forward. How are you doing? Happy to hear that. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So I'm obviously hyped as well. Yeah, to all the people who requested us to finally record the podcast again, which were uh, quite a few, uh, we are back, I think I said that last episode as well, but we are now fully back on a more regular schedule. We had some timing issues because our calendars were both extremely packed for different reasons, but most of all, because we were just busy. And now we want to do it like just more regularly again, because it's it's something that we enjoy a lot. And I mean, we don't have a really big community, but we have some people that we interact with a lot that tell us about how they how much they like the podcast and uh, it's obviously something that we enjoy which is why we're doing it it's a good reason to always come back it's uh, social pressure always works uh, i guess um and i feel comfortable when there's people listening so i mean uh, great can't complain and i agree we have some uh, some interesting topics also um one thing which of course is a bit uh, a bit of kind of a different format since we're not kind of running back and forth with questions today um, also because there were some kind of recent news on your side and i thought it's very valuable for the community that we dig a bit deeper into uh, blair your company uh, but specifically actually on how to raise a seed round um, mike uh, you and uh, your company have just raised uh, 6.3 million um, a seed round by different investors such as tiger global but also rainfall which also invested into a house party and robin hood which probably a lot of people in the community know 468 468 capital which is uh, german based uh, i think or at least uh, european investors um, that also invested into drift and planetly before but also a couple of uh, very interesting and and known uh, angel investors such as sam hodges um, who built Vouch before. So um, lots of interesting names. And of course, Tiger Global is a household name also in the investment uh, or investing industry. So of course, we can dig a bit deeper. Um, and yeah, my, my thought was just to to get a bit of better understanding what how Mike has more or less managed the process, how he made uh, the, the decision with certain investors, uh, with his team together, of course, um, to also give that back to the community and to everybody who's actually raising seed round right now can probably take away some some nuggets from from that part and at the end we're probably going to share some mutual things we have read listened to or things that just inspire us in different forms okay uh, what do you want to start with yeah so i think um i mean i mentioned a few names but i think the names are even not that important it's more about kind of the framework behind it um and i think of course it's a very pragmatic question but why did you actually raise money um as a starting point yeah, so I can give you a bit more context because I think we never really talked too much about my company and what it does and where we started. But I'll just give you the very quick background. So we, we co-founded a company, me and two of my very good friends in 2019. We did it in San Francisco. We're in an immigrant accelerator or in an accelerator focused on immigrant founders first. Uh, then the same summer got into Y Combinator. Uh, the startup accelerator and also raised a little bit of money before we got into YC and 
it's very like I think it's important to talk about the like specific amounts of money that we raised and not necessarily how we called it because everyone needs like different money at different stages and seed rounds can nowadays vary a lot right we raised a 6.3 million dollar seed round which sometimes can be an a at least in in europe and so like some seed rounds are a bit smaller we we called our very first round back in the day pre-seed and now this one is seed but it's basically just terminology so we raised roughly 400k before we got into YC and that was very opportunistically back then we were doing this new like at least in the US this newer kind of student financing concept where people would pay a percentage of their income instead of taking out traditional loans and the biggest bottleneck that we had is that we didn't quite understand the legal framework because we are not lawyers right and especially when you deal with consumer finance it's very important that you are dealing with everything the right way and that you're not just blatantly hurt any laws, right? That could get you into trouble. So we needed money for lawyers to tell us what we could do and what we couldn't do. And then also to structure these agreements that we had both with the students, but then also with external investors that we needed to actually give the money to students. Mm. So we, we had some people back in the day, just when we started, that offered to invest in our company. And at first, like the first ones, we said no to because we thought we didn't need the money. We wanted to move faster towards product market fit first and really, really focus on that. But then we ran into the situation where we needed money for the lawyers and lawyers are expensive, especially the good ones. So we needed to raise some money to like pay some legal bills and then fairly opportunistically just uh, like started talking to some people that we knew. And the very first investors are like just still people that I like cherish a lot just because they believed in us before anyone else did. Mm. And so the very first four investors are actually uh, a very interesting <laughs> bunch of people. So Who is that? Can you can you share them or? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, but give me a second. I think my headset just disconnected for some reason. And yeah, so the very first investors that we had like were very like, interesting mix of people. So we, first of all, like uh, an old school friend of mine who also stayed at my university, he started investing with his sister and his dad. And I knew them from back in the day. And he was actually in the class of my younger brother uh, in high school. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I, I liked him a lot uh, just as a person. I knew his sister as well because she was closer to my age. And then uh, got to meet his dad as well. And his dad just sold a, a more traditional company and was then looking into getting into the startup game a bit more. And uh, they were among our first investors. Then the <laughs> Colibri Games founders, uh, you, you know them, right? Daniel mm -hmm. Shamla, Janos. Um, they were also among our first investors. And uh, they are still some of like my favorite people in the European startup scene, or just in the startup scene in general, because I, I just really love those guys. And now they have- I think they investors. sold their company for like 100 million, right? Just for people yeah, who yeah, don't know Yeah, more than 100 them. million. Um, it was bootstrapped. Yeah. They, they definitely cashed out fairly well. But that was even before that. And they- <laughs> They basically told me, uh, Mike, 
I don't really understand like completely what you're doing because it's not our area of focus, right? Uh, we don't understand student loans in the US too well, but really like you, we like David and like the team. So we're in. And then since then <laughs> have been very, very helpful in just like thinking about a couple of things, uh, like how to scale a company. But then what I like most about them is that they are always just very, like they're, they're motivating you. They're always mm. pushing you to like improve, et cetera. So like, we really like them. And the, the, the third investor that we got on board was me talking to a former professor of mine at USC uh, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to ask him for some marketing advice because he had co-founded uh, basically this magazine and he's the son of the Inc. magazine founder. Oh, so yeah. he was yeah. just yeah. really proficient in like PR, how to position your stories. I wanted to ask him a couple of questions. And then at the end of the conversation, he was just like, yeah, can I invest? And like, <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should chat with my like wealth manager. And then he forwarded me to the wealth manager. The wealth manager grilled me a little bit. And in the end, he said that my like professor is in, but then also wanted to invest. So basically like with <laughs> his private money. So our first four investors were like the family uh, of like someone that grew up like the village next to me, basically. Then the Colibri Games founders, Uh, like my former professor at USC and then also his wealth manager or like his asset manager. So very interesting, interesting bunch of people. And you know what I like about this, actually, uh, just ahead. to step in. Um, I think like a lot of people who are first-time founders, um, they often, especially when it comes to raising their first angel money, they often approach like the high class um, super investors, like, I don't know, the Naval Ravikans of this world and kind of try to, Uh, to get their emails and actually uh, we have done the, the kind of similar things at the very early stage of the company as well and then realized that it's just not not the right way of doing it um, and it it feels quite interesting that of course like you have you, you've you've got angel money from even people that were kind of your neighbors of course the colibri uh, um, founders are, are well known in in the european startup industry but still you have some investors maybe they're not known on in let's say the tech ecosystem overall which i think is a quite interesting or first takeaway that i that i that i see here Yeah, you don't need the then, famous celebrities to be definitely, put that way. For, for us, it was also just a decision, right? We, we never actually fundraised. So hmm. it was just like a two-week thing. Like, or like, the, like there's one, like it was two calls. And then with, with the Colibri Games guys, I mean, I knew them before, right? We, we have met like multiple times and then they wanted in as well. And like, we never actually had a, a formal fundraise for our first, like, I don't know, like 400K, I think. Mm -hmm. And do you we, think that, we could that have goes the right way? I think it was because we okay. were focusing really hard on just like getting shit done and growing the company. And we didn't really care who was on the, like, obviously we cared who was on the cap table because we only wanted people we actually liked and like would want on the journey. Mm -hmm. But the, the goal wasn't to get the best angel ever because at, at that point, that wasn't really what we needed. We needed money. And we didn't want to lose focus from what was actually important. Mm -hmm. And it, like, I'm, I'm so hyped and happy in hindsight that we have those people on board just because every single one of them, I really like, like a lot, just like beyond like the relationship that you have with investors usually. And if we ever become really big and our first investors were like some people that we just privately like appreciate a lot, that's a very cool story. So I really like that part. And then we got into YC a couple of weeks afterwards. They also invested like their, their standard ticket, right? 
And then we raised a little bit of money after YC. We didn't like fully focus on raising too much because we we're still fairly early. So mm-hmm. I think in total we raised like over a million then, but like not not too much because we we really wanted to focus on getting things right first. But we got some cool people on board, right? We got some some of the like more well-known angels, like one of the YC founders, Trevor Blackwell, invested in mm-hmm. us personally. Uh, Pioneer Fund, uh, which is like a YC alumni fund. A Bertelsmann Digital Media Investments actually invested as well. Interesting. So, from from Germany or? Uh, no, from the US office. Okay. And uh, they, they were a fairly strategic choice just because they know EdTech extremely well and FinTech. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the biggest investors that had invested in an income share agreement based fund. So mm, smart. Uh, we yeah. like we had them and I like them a lot as well. So we like we have a very very interesting mix of investors. We have some more untraditional investors and then we have some top tier startup investors. So fairly interesting mix. But yeah, YC raising during YC is very different than usually like raising money mm-hmm. otherwise, right? Because you have all this attention, you have like hundreds of investors reaching out to you, like Sequoia and A16Z want to meet with you just because they meet with like almost every YC company. And then you go into these like awesome offices and, and Central Road and everything looks super fancy. And then Mark Andreessen walks past. So like very, very interesting vibe, but it, it's just not how fundraising usually works. And it's not how like fundraising is usually much more difficult, especially for first time founders. It's not that easy. And many people are actually worrying about fundraising, right? Mm. So that I, was, I mean, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that was a bit of kind of like the, the, because you mentioned a few interesting points here, right? I mean, you were like, you were in this like little bubble, uh, of course, after and doing YC where you met all these great and well-known VCs. And at the end of the day, you still needed to ask yourself the question, okay, we like, why do we want to kind of, why do we want to raise now? And and when, until when do we want to get it done? And of course you want to get the high profile investors if possible, but you also just want to get the money and move forward. How did you differentiate now between kind of, finding let's say the high well-known investors um and and getting the money and running what was kind of your thought process yeah i mean during yc we were basically just focused on getting great people on board that could actively be helpful to what we're doing Mm -hmm. either through signaling but most importantly through the value add they could provide and we could have we could have raised more money as well with a more traditional round but we wanted a mix of really good angel investors and just have them on board uh, smaller tickets and not really go with a lead investor and go through all the um, like difficulties and complexities that has. Mm-hmm. And we also didn't want to give anyone too much control, which was also something that we were like fairly conscious about. We, we really like to have control about our company because that's how we see it, right? We have financial investors on board that participate in the upside whenever we have an exit or something like that or IPO, Mm -hmm. obviously. But ultimately, they shouldn't be the ones who decide what the company does, right? Because we we think that we are obviously much, much, much closer to everything that's happening. So that was important to us as well. And then lastly, we, we also wanted to work with people that we really liked. So we did background checks on like every investor that we chatted with and we we did decline some money as well like we did decline money and like it was really hard to decline money right people offer you money and then you talk to like two of the companies they invested in and uh, like the reports weren't as good and then we said no that's that's not what we want and it was really that, that was really hard 
And people told us to like definitely not do that. And for some time, we were also pissed that we did it, um, <laughs> especially during COVID, right? When, when COVID hit, we were like, okay, maybe we should have taken in more money. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in hindsight, I think it was uh, at least for most of them, the right decision. I think one of them, not too sure uh, about them specifically, obviously not mentioning any names, but yeah. So basically this, like the whole fundraising process was very streamlined during YC. You get all of this attention. You can talk to all of these people. And you also can raise at like higher valuations than you could raise without YC. But mm-hmm. things that were always important to us, we only want to work with people that we actually want to work with in the long term. Mm-hmm. Because it's mm-hmm. very difficult to get investors off your cap table, <laughs> right? Right, right? Once right, they have right. invested, uh, they, are, they are on it. And mm. if they don't want to get off it, then it's, it's rough. Good luck, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah that, that was important to us. And we, we just tried to find a balance of making it efficient, but also finding good people. And then the first really like optimized formal fundraise on the equity side that we had was our seed round. How did uh, you know we... that it's the right timing for the seed round? Because I mean, that's an essential question that a lot of companies have in that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Some people say like raise the seed round, like as soon as you have like your first traction, some people say do it as late as possible um, when you don't have any money anymore. Some people say mm-hmm. different. Um, like what was, how did you know that it's the right time? Yeah. So in our case, it was a mix of a couple of things. One, we knew that we would need some money not not mm-hmm. immediately we we did have a decent very decent buffer but we also tried to stay conservative with that right because we heard how long sometimes these rounds can take or sometimes things can just be delayed and we i don't want to be in a situation where we only have three months of runway left and i can't sleep because i think the company is like going bankrupt mm-hmm. that's 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 really like there's not enough stress in being a founder so i'd rather know in advance that the round might be a problem and then find a plan B or a plan C to, to continue. But yeah, that was one reason we knew that at some point we needed to raise. The second reason was that we just hit a couple of milestones. Mm-hmm. So we just finished our debt raise and we, we had some like very, very good progress on the product side, good progress on the traction side. And then the, the third and a bit ironic reason was that I... <laughs> I didn't really know what to do with my, it's a bit like irony, right? But I didn't know what to do with my time because until then I was fully focused on the debt race. So I wasn't super mm-hmm. involved in the operational business. That was mostly the team and my co-founders. So I was like, okay, what's my going to do? Um, yeah, raising money sounds like, a, sounds like a good thing. I'm obviously simplifying, but that, that was only like sure. one very small part. I, yeah. I just thought, what is the highest leverage thing that I can do for the company? And the highest leverage thing was to get more resources, to know that we can continue for the next two and a half, three years, mm-hmm. including our hiring plans, obviously. And then trying to get the resources for the company and then use them. So that you, these were you, the reasons. And go ahead. No, go ahead. These were the reasons why we decided to raise. And then in hindsight, it was a very good decision. Like we, we can talk a bit more about the like mental game and the stress of the fundraise yeah. afterwards, but... In hindsight, everything worked out extremely well. And the whole of 2021 was like a blast for us till now. So we, we're really on a, on a very, very good streak right now. So I hope that that continues. Maybe 2021 is our year because 2020 wasn't. COVID really, <laughs> uh, really sucked in that regard. But yeah, the, the, the first half of this year was amazing. And I think we're in a very, very good way right now. 
Awesome. Uh, fingers crossed that it's gonna gonna stay like that. Um, uh, j just uh, to and I know I'm being very practical in the kind of like, questions I ask, but I think it's important for founders that are in this similar situation. Um, you fully fund like you you did fundraising and nothing else, right? Um, so that's the first question. And the second question, which directly related to that, is how much time investment is needed. Uh, in order to raise a proper seed round. Of course, it's very different from like the situation, but like, do you have a general approximate like week, months, uh, uh, like timeline on what people yeah. should expect? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple of strong opinions there. One, if you're fundraising, you can't do anything else. You should be fully focused on fundraising. Obviously, you can answer an email here or there or talk to your co-founders or like your team but you shouldn't be very involved with other things. So even sales calls in between, it, it obviously always depends on the context of the company and it's different everywhere, but you, you can't do fundraising as a side project, at least mm -hmm. not super effectively. Some people can, right? If you're a, like a, a second time founder and it's just like, okay, who wants to lead my round? Or if you are in a very lucky position, then it might work. But even people with very, very good traction that think that they're in a great position sometimes struggle with raising their rounds. And I think full-time focus is almost required if you want to do it properly. Mm -hmm. And so th that's number one. Number two is that having a structured process is super important. So it needs a bit of preparation. And then lastly, you should plan a bit more time. So even if an effective fundraise or like an efficient fundraise takes a couple of weeks. So in our case, from the day we had the first conversation to us signing a term sheet, I think took us three and a half weeks or four mm. weeks. So like fairly quickly. Yeah. Sounds quite but, fast yeah, compared to what I've heard before. Yeah, but it can, it can drag out and mm. it can drag out even if your company is very good. So it's yeah, not necessarily yeah, yeah. that our company is better than all those companies out there it's a bit of luck. It's a bit of how good are you at fundraising? And one thing, one thing that I like, I, I heard at YC a lot, and also that, that some people that are very, very experienced told me is that almost no one is really good at fundraising, <laughs> and hmm. it's it's usually just a a game of persistence, a game of being structured, not letting all the no's drag you down too much because you will get mm -hmm. no's and you will get lots of them. Even the most successful companies out there get lots of no's. I mean, there's a famous story. We talked about that, like Airbnb mm -hmm. got lots and lots of no's before they got their investors. And then other companies you see out there, like almost everyone that I know that raised their like seed or a, they talk to like maybe 80, maybe a hundred investors. And then four of them say yes. And like, you only need one lead that says yes. And then the rest is usually filled easily. But even some people that I know fairly well uh, uh, that have raised their rounds in the last 12 months, and you saw like these big announcement, announcements on TechCrunch, right? Mm. And well, yeah, like capital for the new wave of growth, blah, 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 everything's great. Many of them struggled mm -hmm. with the raise and it took longer than they expected. And they got lots and lots and lots of no's. So every success story out there, like I can, I can talk very transparently about our process first couple of weeks like first two weeks i i got like shit ton of no's i i was very very disappointed and the, the the biggest problem is usually when you talk to the investors that you think would be the best fit or you think have the highest probability of saying yes and they are then saying no 
Mm. It's almost impossible to not let that affect your mental at all. But you sure. need to you need to be like resilient enough, or like you need to bounce back, right? It's it's super super important. It's similar to sports, right? Losing a game is bad, but there's always a next game. There's always a next tournament, and in this case, it's even better, right? Because you have all of these investors that you can talk to. And you, you you just need to keep going. And I had two days where it was super, like, I think that was like beginning of week three, where I was super depressed and I was like, fuck me, I can't do this. And like, if I fail and the company fails and yeah, I was like two, I had two really rough days. And then once I we had the first term sheet, everything changed. Everything. I think we, we, we definitely talked about that before, but getting the first term sheet is this magical moment, like the first real term sheet, right? Sometimes you get term sheets that like don't really count because they say, well, we will lead you around, but only if you decrease your valuation by like 50% and we only invest 1 million off the five. Mm -hmm. That's not really mm -hmm. leading around. But if you get a proper term sheet that you would accept, then everything changes. Like after we had that, we got bombarded with other term sheets. And everyone, even the ones, the ones that were silent before were like, yeah, oh yeah, we definitely wanted to send you like a term sheet and like we definitely want in... And like, let's let us lead the round. And th then once they heard like who else we got term sheets from, like it got a f like even more of a frenzy. And then everyone like at some point wanted to invest. So once you have priced rounds where you need a lead, the dynamic is a bit different. So if you raise convertibles or if you raise on saves, then you can raise money continuously, which mm -hmm. is better yeah. for your mental as well, right? Having like the first three angel investors who invest 50K each when you want to raise a million, that's mm. good for your mental because you have 150 committed. You know that the company won't die in the next couple of months and mm -hmm. you can use that momentum. But if you raise a price round where you need a lead and the lead is the one you need first because they are pricing the round and they are the, like the others just follow, mm -hmm. then you just need this one yes to change it all. And that's a very different fundraising experience from the one we had before. And the, the lucky thing was that I was very used to having like lots of no's and having like a huge pain from raising the debt we, mm. we raised before. So raising equity, like in comparison was actually not that bad, but just because I was <laughs> very much, I was very, very, very much like, like just totally beaten down by raising debt. I was that, that, that's gotcha. like, I, I don't want to recommend it to any early stage founder. No, I mean because you, of course you 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 ended with the with the one and you started with the other one, which of course is like a, a hard hit. But it feels like, of course, at the end of the day, it's somehow a sales job, right? If you get a lot of no's in sales, it's about persistence and staying strong with uh, customers. So I think everybody that has worked in sales is probably rather used to the process of fundraising than somebody that has never done um, a single word of sales, either with yeah. kind of. B2C or B2B customers, I think, especially in B2B, um, I think uh, the experience will definitely help uh, in fundraising yeah. as far as I could listen to what you just said. Yeah, almost everything sells. Hiring is sales, fundraising is sales, sales is sales. So <laughs> I mean, I agree, right? Absolutely. Yeah, um, sales is super important. Not, not in the traditional, I want to sell you this thing that isn't working kind of sales, yeah. but more, yeah. and I, I don't even think that the skill of convincing other people necessarily is what you learn, but it's more this resiliency that you just mm. talked about that, that salespeople usually have, or that someone who has done some kind of sales before, even as a founder or something else, that's something that you need to bring. And I definitely got better at this mental resilience and getting no's, but it still hurts. And I know serious D founders, 
I know founders that IPO'd and are now building the next company. And they still say every single no from a VC hurts them so much. And it's <laughs> ironic because they know that they will raise their seed round, right? But it still hurts them because it, it reflects on, I think what, what someone taught me before or told me before, and I think that's a very good explanation of it. You are so closely connected to your startup that someone saying no to your startup is almost like just denouncing you as a person. Mm. And you know that that isn't the case, but it still feels like it. A little bit. Yeah, and and I think you have like uh, like other other effects, right? I mean, uh, like in sales, you have quotas that you need to hit where you get paid for, but also as a founder, everything was more or less dependent on the money. So these subconscious effects, such as okay, if I don't raise the round now, the company will die, and uh, and everything will have an end. I think that subconsciously is going to affect you, and of course, every no somehow um, is is more or less giving you a shot into that specific subconscious feeling. So um, I can totally see how that's going to be hard i mean also in product you need to do a lot of sales uh if you do like proper product management in my opinion um you always need to talk to customers and um convert uh like your ideas into 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 sales at the end of the day so i think um i can totally see how that also affects across the business line in different uh, positions not even as kind of the person fundraising um one question that i have um since you talked about the process and i would love to dig a bit deeper into the process um you like i know a lot of founders that have spent a lot of time preparing pitch, pitch decks and more or less uh, iterated over them a hundred times which i think is is worthful but um how much time do you think should somebody invest that's actually raising a seed round into building the pitch deck and and creating one pagers and all that kind of stuff um uh, how, what's your opinion on that yeah a bit of a Split opinion on that. By the way, I think I need to comment a bit more on the timing before because I haven't actually answered the question and then we can talk about that. Like you should sure. definitely have a couple of months mm -hmm. planned for, for the fundraise, especially if it's a, like a bigger one. If you just don't just want to raise like 300K or something, but like a million or two in the early stages or sometimes even more, you definitely need some buffer in there. And then in terms of the prep, it's, it's difficult because a good, a, good, a good pitch deck can help. But every investor just looks at the pitch deck for like one and a half minutes. And that's, that's where most of the people like decide whether you will continue or not, right? Most of the, most of the no's you get fairly early on, especially if you're not well connected, right? So in yeah. our case, we got meetings with almost every investor just because we get intros from other people that we knew through YC or like our investor network that we already had. But especially mm -hmm. if you're a first-time founder, getting the meetings is already a problem or can be a problem. And that's one of the most important things because it's a numbers game. I talked about that earlier. So you need to talk to a lot of investors and you usually want to talk to a lot of investors in a short period of time. If you talk to 30 investors over three months, that's not good. You want to talk mm -hmm. to 30 investors in like one and a half weeks, mm -hmm. like two weeks, depending on how much you can do per day. But It's, it's rough, right? Because if you don't have the intros or don't have the connections, then it's difficult to get the meetings. But yeah, getting back to the materials, having a good pitch deck really helps, but it's not the most important thing, I think. I, I think it's really important. We, like, we literally didn't have a pitch deck for our whole pre-seed. And like, we, we raised the, the first like, bit over a million dollars without a deck at all, which I wouldn't recommend. I just, I'm just saying that like, it depends on the context. Mm -hmm. And... Having a good pitch deck is helpful, 
But what's more important is the way you convey the company and the mm. way you explain. Because once you're in the conversation, the pitch deck is just supplement. It's not the main part of the performance. The main part of the performance is do the investors think that you are this type of founder that can run through walls or climb walls or dig below walls, like whatever, whatever is necessary. Mm. And do they think that you are, especially in the early stages, are you the right kind of person and then later team that can get this done? And sometimes the super insane traction slide can help, right? If it's yeah, like yeah. just super insane traction, raising on traction is always easier than raising on vision. Mm -hmm. So if you have traction, that's perfect. I think the most important thing a pitch deck should do is easily explain what the product is doing. And I see so many pitch decks that are not doing that. And that's really rough because then people don't know what questions to ask. And if investors don't understand what you're doing, then they usually say no. Because they, if they can't understand what it is, then they think it can't be, can't be mm -hmm. that good. So the, the better it explains what you're actually doing and why it could be big, I think these are the most important things that need to be conveyed. And not every pitch deck is doing that. And it's, it's also not that easy to do because you know your product extremely well, but you don't know how someone that doesn't know your product will understand it. So you should definitely test that a bit with some of your friends and see if they understand, especially maybe with some acquaintances that don't fully know what you're doing and mm. just see whether they understand what you want to get at by just looking at your pitch deck. I think that could be helpful. But then also, I never send out a pitch deck before I actually have a first call. So Interesting. Okay. That's also something we haven't talked about, right? So I never do that. Some investors want it. And some investors say they won't take the meeting if you don't do that. But I still don't do it. Uh, I think the only two people I ever did it for was like two of my favorite people ever, just because I loved everything they were writing. And I was like, yeah, like fanboying. Of course, you can have my pitch deck. But, uh, <laughs> but so you just disagreed. So you just said, hey, I'm not going to take up the meeting. I said, uh, no. Uh, I mean, uh, usually you can just say, uh, well, happy to send you the pitch deck after we had the call, but uh, would, would like to focus on it during the call. Okay. And 99% of investors just take the meeting anyways. There's just like a couple of investors that say, well, no, not taking the meeting without the pitch deck. But yeah, I don't mean they can go screw themselves. I don't care. Interesting. Interesting. I've never heard that before. Um, so I think interesting. It's take. Also I think that was taught to us at YC. They, they tell you never send out your pitch deck in advance because then you give up leverage. You can send out the pitch deck afterwards because then they've seen it anyways. And the pitch deck helps them to convince other partners, especially if you're not talking to angels mm. uh, like internally. Um, to, to make the deal. So you need good materials for that. But yeah, sending out the pitch deck to the investor so that they can think about whether they should take the meeting isn't usually the best thing because investors, and, and there are some founders, even some of my friends who disagree and mm -hmm. some who are on my side. So it's, it's, not a, it's not an iron, like it's not a rule, but it's just okay. something yeah, that yeah, I think yeah. is, as, as everything in fundraising, right? Things are always different for different styles. But my personal style is I, I don't send anyone the pitch deck. And the reason for that is you investors are basically always interested. They never want to miss the big deal, right? If, if investors miss the next gorillas, their LPs will ask them, hey, why didn't you take a look at gorillas? And if the answer is, well, because they didn't send me their pitch deck <laughs> and I didn't want to take the meeting, that's not something you want to tell to your LPs. So if you have some kind of base level interest on the investor side then 
that can be helpful. But again, it's only it's always a stage, right? You should think about it very similar to sales. The most important thing, first of all, is to get an intro or like to get like connection to the yeah, yeah. yeah to the message. Then you need the call, right? You, you want to talk to them. And I say call specifically because we're in the Zoom like remote world, right? Sometimes it's a meeting in person and that is starting to change again. But you want the first meeting. And then after the first meeting, you want to very clearly understand what they need from you and what the process looks like so that they can make, a, make an investment or make an offer. Mm -hmm. And that usually is the second meeting uh, if it's a fund. And angels can usually say like yes or no after one meeting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you need to understand what the process is and you need to understand what they need from you to make a decision. And then you need to deliver that fairly quickly if, if it's reasonable. And you want to move them along the stages as quickly as possible. And if they don't move along the stage, your assumption should be that they're out. So if someone doesn't tell you anything for a couple of days, your assumption should be that they're out. You should still ping them, but you shouldn't classify them as likely. Mm -hmm. If we see, mm -hmm. especially VCs, if we see VCs want a deal, they usually move very quickly. And there are exceptions to that. And there are also VCs who want to wait to see if there's some traction and whether other investors want to make the deal. But generally, and sometimes people are just busy, right? I mean, they, they see so many things and investors can be busy. If they are angels, they have often have their own companies to run. And if they're VCs, they, like, they are also humans, right? They, they can't always answer in like 20 minutes. And sometimes mm -hmm. things legitimately get into the way or they just forget. But sometimes it's also just a delaying tactic where they think, well, I'm not too sure, but if they get a term sheet from some other funds, maybe we put a term sheet in as well, or maybe we then want to co-invest or participate. Mm -hmm. And I'll just tell them, well, so we were so like busy and what we love you and we loved you from the very first call. So <laughs> uh, it, it, it really depends on that. But yeah, you want to move them along the process as quickly as possible. You want to always know who is in which stage of the process. So you need to track that very accurately. How did you and check you it? Need, uh, we, we just used the Google Sheet. So okay. we didn't overdo it. And we had notes uh, in slides, which is something like Notion as well, that were linked there. So we mm -hmm. always took notes for every investor. Makes and, sense. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. I did. <laughs> and uh, then one other thing is, you always need a constant flow. Okay, like three other like common mistakes that I'm seeing. One, not scheduling enough conversations. I, I know like people that like schedule like five investor conversations over two weeks and think, well, like I'm starting and that should be going. But then like all five say no, and they're like, oh, wait, where like what am I doing now? Mm -hmm. And then they're wondering where the momentum is lost. So you definitely need more than that. You need uh, a very good plan of talking to lots of investors in a like, shorter amount of time. Uh, two, uh, worrying too much about the materials. Materials are important. You should put prep time into it. Mm -hmm. But and, and iterating on the pitch deck is also very important. So it's a breathing document. Like the, it shouldn't look the same in your like 40th pitch than it looks in your first pitch. Mm -hmm. But what I meant by that is that some investors will just ask for things that are unreasonable. For example, if someone asks you in the very early days, they give me your five-year cash flow forecast and you just haven't <laughs> even launched your product yet, then you might want to rethink whether you actually built that because it steals a couple of hours from you that you could invest in other investors as well. So okay, some, some requests sense. are reasonable, some are not. Just pay attention to that. And then also, um, like VCs like to play games. It's, it's their job, right? They need to 
increase the money of their LPs. And there are some really, really good VCs and there are some VCs who are not good. So if you can, and if you have the ability to choose, you should always talk to other founders mm. in their portfolios before you accept anything. And then there are like there are also people that give you exploding offers. They tell you, well, like we're investing, but you only have 24 hours to decide. And then the term sheet is gone. What would you recommend these people? Not sign it. Just tell tell other investors as well. We just got a term sheet. And uh, do you want it in as well? And then tell the investor who does the exploding offer, like that's not how we do things. We want a normal structured process. And we will end the process with the investors that are already close in the next couple of days. And then we'll tell you whether we take the term sheet. And it's super difficult. It's super, 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 super difficult. It's not easy to say no and to renegotiate. But in the end, it's very important for your company. So even when we got our first term sheet, like it was very, like we were like very close to like, we just sign it. We have a term sheet. Let's go. But we really needed to calm down a little bit, like compare options and then just do what's best for the company. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's difficult. Thanks for, 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 for being, being so transparent. Right. Um, I think, um, you mentioned a few, a few topics that are of course quite correlated. I also see a lot of startups that are sometimes overthinking the, the, the documents and everything that you need to prepare. I, I think myself included back then. Um, and of course it's like, it's your website, your personal website for, for your fundraising. So of course it also needs to be, um, it needs to represent what you're doing. But I think one thing that has helped me and I know a few others as well is to use, for example, YC's like 20 questions to answer about your product and your business in general, to really nail down in 50, 50 words, what you're actually doing, um, to, to and they're of, they're of course like great, great pitch deck templates from Sequoia and YC and others. Oh yeah. You, you should just use the like general, like standardized templates and then just put your stuff in. You yeah, can reinvent right. the wheel, but you don't have to. And there's some newer things that I'm seeing like notion pages where you write an investment memo, which can be cool. Etc. But if you are unsure about what to do, you can just go with the standards. And the Sequoia template is really good for pitch deck, not the design mm -hmm. itself, but the no, the context, yeah. uh, the content. And yeah, I think one of the most important things that you should do is uh, build an FAQ list, because mm -hmm. you will you will hear the same questions over and over and over again. And having answers prepared is very helpful. And if if like three VCs asked in the first three meetings, and probably you will hear it more often. So just put it in an FAQ list. Either you can send that to people or you just know what to answer. If someone asks you, either via email, you can just copy it in or in a call as well. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, nice one. Um, thanks for sharing as well. Um, just one final question since we're almost at time. Um, how do you know now when you're ready for Series A? I know it's uh, <laughs> that's kind of the next step, but um, like, do you track certain KPIs? Is it more a gut feeling? Do you talk to investors? Um What's your, what's your view on that? So very interesting question because we think about that a lot, right? Currently, we're not focusing too much on the A itself. We just focus on what can we do to make the business grow in the best possible way? And what can we build to make the business, uh, to increase the probability of the business becoming a really, really big business? And that's mm -hmm. what we're mostly focusing on because we think that's ultimately what will bring us there, either to an A or like to an IPO at some point, right? 
And we, we have a lot of time now in the, in the sense that we are not super rushed because we just raised money. So we don't want mm -hmm. to just throw the money like out of the window immediately. We, we obviously will spend it and we will spend it effectively, but we, we just want to make sure that we're doing the right thing because our market is also a bit more sensitive to mm -hmm. making mistakes. So we need to be careful that we're not breaking any laws and that we are scaling in a sustainable manner. But yeah, we do have some KPIs that we look at. We do have some growth goals internally, but we mostly focus on what would we be happy with, with our growth. And we are very ambitious with our growth goals, right? So everything that we are happy with, investors are probably also happy with. And then we try to think about how can we achieve that and how do we get there as quickly as possible. And then at some point, we'll probably get into the position where we think we might be ready for an A. But my, my, my dream goal is that we overshoot the goals for an A and then go out and race. Because the, the A, again, is very different from the seed where like metrics matter much more. Mm. It's very traction-based. And so it's a different kind of fundraise. And I just want to make sure that we are in the, in the right position and that we will do it efficiently as well. And I'm, I'm very confident now in my ability like, to like, generally structure a fundraise fairly effectively, mostly also because we've done it on the debt side as well and raised a shit ton of money there. And still, right, uh, A will be a whole different beast. And mm. I'm already excited for it. Um, not too nervous right now. We'll probably come at some point. And I'm, currently, I'm just very bullish. But uh, I'll, I can definitely keep you updated on what, what, what we will focus on once we come a bit closer. I already scheduled some conversations with some of our investors and then also YC about that whole process. And it will just be a continuous process of improving the company, improving the processes, and making sure that we are continuously improving every single day. And I think if we do that, then we are on a very good path. Totally. Um, perfect final words. Um, thanks, Mike, for giving a bit of insight into kind of how you structured it, the process, the, like, the mentality behind it. Um, and I would say like people should should send us a message um, if they have additional questions that we or you could answer. Um, we can also bring people on and talk about their seed round experiences. But generally, I think this was a good good head start and I think already gave a good good first overview of what to focus on and how kind of how to walk through the process. So thanks a lot for sharing. Um, it was great, uh, great seeing you again. Um, and uh, I would say up to next time. And for everyone, feel free to reach out, subscribe and uh, listen in. It was a pleasure, Max. Have a good rest of your day.